So this bolt of lightning shot across the universe and inspired me with the idea that we have to do a podcast. And that's what I wanted to tell you. We should do a podcast. Okay, bye. I hit record. I hit record. (laughs) And it's still recording. And it didn't stop because we've had some issues. Um... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we are still recording. The whole episode is just going to be us repeating the phrase, we are still recording. Uh-huh. And we are still recording. <gasps> okay. Wait, for Welcome serious. Welcome to this Future is a, Creep. Yes. Colon. Built-in microwave. <laughs> semi-colon. Semi-colon. <laughs> paper plate design. Design of paper yes! plates. Yes. All yes, the yes. things you never wanted to know about paper plates. Um, That's right. Yeah. End of summer. So we thought, hey, why don't we talk about paper plates? Um, I think this was all just kind of... I I think I shared that image of the um uh I think if you're our holder. age or you're kind of in the like the Gen X maybe early I, I don't know if they're still that popular but those baskets there's those yeah. like sort of um sort of cheap woven basket plates that you put the paper plate into because yeah. paper plates are too floppy right to like actually work as a plate they're kind of more like a like a thick smooth napkin right. that you can put food on they they sell them like crazy on amazon right now i just looked it up oh really yeah so those yeah, baskets a lot are of, yep they're like yeah. plastic now or you oh. can get the eco ones that are like biodegradable or you can get the woven brown wicker which is kind of like what i was familiar with from the right. 70s yeah 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 and that um and they fit those like classic paper plates that have the sort of like flowery or they have the like flower petal edge. The pa- right. like they're, it's they're sort of folded over on themselves in a kind of like um there's a word for it in sewing. And I can't pin tucked. Pleat? Oh they're pin like, tucked. Yes, they're yeah, pin tucked. Like it's yeah. like tiny little tucks all around it. It gives the sort of uh, um it always kind of reminded me of like the scalloped edge of a pie. Mm. Even though I don't think that that's what they're trying to mimic with the design. No, but that's exactly. Yeah, exactly. They kind of have that like sort of scalloped pie edge. Um, Yeah. And then it's pressed together. I assume to create like more tensile strength in the thing. I don't know. I'm mm -hmm. not an engineer, so I don't know what all the words are. Yeah. I mean, I think it it, like by giving it that that third dimension, it gives it a little bit more rigidity, right? Like it, it, the plate kind of holds together. Um, And so, uh, which is, you know, this is a far cry from the like more probably modern paper plates that people are more used to. They're like thicker and stiffer that you don't yes. need a basket to hold it. But that's what we, we had those baskets. Um, and so you had the paper plates and they went in the baskets and the baskets you reused and the paper plates you, you disposed of. Um, don't throw away the holder. So uh, Meg, tell me um, how, how did we come, how did we get paper plates in our lives? Like how, where did those come from? So like we were looking into this and actually like, it's actually more whose fault is it that we have these fucking paper plates clogging up the landfills Uh so um they they were uh an invention that showed up in the early 1900s and we looked around and found a couple of different names that it might be attached to but what we're going with for now is that a guy named Martin Keyes, spelled K-E-Y-E-S, established a company in 1903 called the Keyes Fiber Company mm-hmm. and wanted to make pie plates out of molded like wood pulp. Yeah. Um, and so he 
he wanted to make a machine that could create paper plates and then wanted to patent the design of those paper plates. So right. in 1904, he made pie plates. He had some problems with the cost to produce them. Um, and he eventually made the, his company became the company that's now known for making Chinette disposable plates. And those are the really thick, almost like cardboardy ones Oh, that, interesting. Um, and they're so like the paper plates that require the um, supportive substructure of like a paper plate holder yeah. are usually a thin single sheet of actual paper like you would write on, albeit thicker and closer like, to cardstock. Than yeah, closer paper. to cardstock. Right. But those Chinette plates are like ground up wood pulp slurry that are then like pressed into a form. Interesting. So they're not like a sheet of paper. Right. Um, anyway, the Chinat ones are the ones that he's famous for. So, um, I was reading about like who this person was and it says on a, on a, a weird website called Wonderopolis, all the, all the stuff that we could find about this stuff was in like sort of strange pockets on the internet. Um, so he, apparently the inspiration for Martin Keys to create this, paper plate was um, that he was watching workers at a veneer plant in New York eating their lunches off of like shave veneer shavings and waste um, veneer from maple trees. And he was like, Oh, this is great. Like, look at them. They got these little like paper, you know, kind of like tree bark or a, a, you know, a veneer is just kind of like a gigantic pencil shaving on the scale of a tree instead of a pencil. And so, um, yeah, that was apparently what inspired him to make paper plates. And so he developed machines that would mash wood pulp, mold it into paper plates. He tried to patent it, but then someone else like apparently lifted his idea. Or people think of the same things at the same time all of the time. We don't know if it was nefarious. Um, he had to present his diary as proof and successfully fought uh, the issue in court and was awarded the patent for his paper plate machine, um, despite the competition from whoever else. I wasn't able to figure out who that other competition might have been. It doesn't say anywhere that I could find. Um, mm-hmm. So he he made the Keys Fiber Company, um, and he sort of created a market for this product that didn't exist before. And um, other competitors made cheaper plates to compete with those made by the Keys Company. But then eventually, his sales got a boost because uh, hell ceases for no man and the San Francisco earthquake and fire created a gigantic demand for paper plates. Wow. Uh, so you can thank your lucky stars and the San Francisco fire of 1906 for your Chinette plate that apparently Americans use along with other mixed um, single serve utensils to the tune of a trillion of them a, a year that go into landfills. So that's cute. Yes. Um, fantastic. Is Martin keys a hero or a, villain it's hard to say well i think um i feel like one source i read talked about um it being kind of maybe i was looking at the wikipedia thing for disposable food packaging um yes okay so According to the Wikipedia article on disposable food packaging as of September 3rd, 2021, um, in 1908, a Samuel J. Crumbine 
who was a public health officer in Kansas, um, he was on a train and when he witnessed one of his tuberculosis patients uh, taking a drink of water from a common dipper and water bucket, um, basically like a, a sort of yeah. old style publicly like shared drinking water. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then he noticed that a young girl who drank from the same dipper and bucket, this inspired him to launch a crusade to, to ban publicly shared or common utensils in public spaces. Um, uh, yeah. So for public health, public health. Yeah. For public health. And so then um, a Lawrence, a Lawrence Lulin and a Hugh Moore invented a disposable paper club cup, uh, which later got renamed as the Dixie cup. And this was, um, this was their response to kind of noticing the trend of like, you know, the ban on public publicly shared utensils. And so, uh, they were like, Oh, well we'll make a disposable cup. So this, this like, I think this is one of those things where it's like, you're solving one problem and creating other ones, right? Like, yes, um, a wicked problem. Yeah. A wicked problem. Oh wait, (laughs) wicked problem. (laughs) Um, Why is it wicked? Right. I just that that day forever will be fixed in my mind. I was so adamant that I did not understand. Um, uh, I was right there with you. I was like, but there's why won't anybody just say right? Why won't anyone tell us where the name comes from? So funny. Anyway, sorry, derail. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, yeah. So I I think it's it's this isn't to be an apologist for for the insanity that disposable. Um, disposable utensils or sort of disposable goods has brought um, upon us. It's like, it's just a reflection of the issue of um, cause there's a huge problem with sharing utensils or having reusable utensils because either you're being um, and I know like right now, like we live in this like amazing time of health and like, we don't really have an issue of people getting infected and like passing diseases onto each other. But right, we don't have the any reason that we live that way. Right. The reason that we get to enjoy that is because, um, we have good sanitary practices and with that comes disposable goods where you're like, um, or potentially disposable goods. And that's like the second level of the problem, right? Like how do you, how do you create, ways for people to have access to things that are life-sustaining like water in public spaces without either using a disposable good or whatever you do if you're using something that's reusable but you have to clean it that's a different kind of resource like you're using soap Mm -hmm. and water to clean it potentially um right which is its own you know some some regions enjoy more availability of water than others and so that becomes a question of you know what's acceptable but right um anyway it's a wicked problem <laughs> do you uh, own an autoclave <laughs> right do you own an autoclave and is it reasonable to and efficient to use energy to autoclave things in order to preserve public health um Can we autoclave you right god i when we were talking about autoclaves the other day and i i looked and i had seen that there are, you know, industrial autoclaves where people have died in them. Yes. Oh my God. We could do a whole thing on this because like, I know like crazy stories about this. Yeah. It's so, there was like someone here in the twin cities that got autoclaved to death. Oh God. It's such a horrible, it's just horrible. It's just, they went in and the door shut behind them and there was no way to get out. And they like "Ah!" died in there being autoclaved. That's so nuts. That's so nuts. I can't even imagine. I guess they were like liquefied. Oh yeah. Like it's so, 
it's just the hottest fucking high pressure steam um you know like if you ever cook with a pressure cooker <laughs> it's like an instant pot a giant instant pot a yeah it's like a sized gi- instant pot yep yeah oh awful okay oh uh, yes. did you see um speaking of person-sized instant pot uh that makes me think of another title for a future podcast that we should do called um human-sized garbage disposal <laughs> What do you think of that? I thought of that yesterday. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Gonna stick in a pin in that one, uh, <laughs> right? So yeah, barring like autoclaves or whatever, the the um, oh, before we get off of the uh, paper plates too far, well, especially well, that's what I was gonna go back to actually. Yeah, well, I was gonna say before we leave the discussion of him creating the patent or are ah. defending the patent. So yes. he, uh, you can actually look up the patent, the U S patent. So it's U S patent number. Oh, uh, so the U S patent is U S nine zero three eight six nine a. So that's, um, what is that? What's you? That's, um, anyway, U S U S nine zero three a six nine. Sorry. US 903869A and that's apparatus for making pulp articles and in this ah. um in this patent you can read about you can see his original drawings of this machine that uh basically churns out paper products and it does that kind of wood pulp um and then and then there's the whole text of it which is that's um, so delightful yeah uh yeah it's pretty cool so Anyway, um, yeah, so paper plate design. I think it's so interesting that there used to be people who were inventors. Like, I get that there are inventors now, but a lot of inventing is not about, like, banging on something in a workshop until it, like, results in a thing in real life. It's, like, using computers and CAD and all kinds of things and engineering and math and all these, like, sort of, like, secondary uh, but very important things that are part of the process now whereas it's like oh i i made this machine to make paper plates back in the day i yeah i often think (laughs) about um i used to watch some british shows way back in the day and i and every once in a while they'd make reference to like oh did you know so and so invented he invented that in his shed and um and the sort of the u.s or the american equivalent of that is like you know so-and-so invented something in his garage. Like he started that company in his garage or his basement. Um, And I think about, it's funny. Like I think about like, so like in Britain, they like garages aren't as common or they weren't as common. Mm. Right. But a garden shade shed was like, everyone had a garden shed and everyone knew that that's where the, like the useless man husband would go for the afternoon to spend his time tinkering rather than annoying his wife in the house or whatever. Um, You know, that's the bullshit. Like, the man you know, cave of today. The, the man cave of today. The whole b- bullshit, like gender dynamic. <laughs> I, like, that's interesting too. Like man caves used to be about like tinkering in the shed, and now they're about like drinking beer in your like kegerator or whatever. <laughs> right, and, and playing video games. Um, what do you guys do? Oh, we invent paper plate machines that we build from scratch, and then those make plates that we made from scratch. And it's like, what do you guys do? Oh, uh, we get drunk and watch football. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. Woo. Woo. Uh, Anyway, I, I often wonder if there are other cultures where it's like a similar dynamic, but instead of like talking about a garden shed or a garage or a basement, like they have some other other space. Like maybe it was like the den or something, something that was very common for their their culture. Yeah. Um, oh, like um, 
don't Russian and and Ukrainian people like to go to those spas where you get whipped with branches? Yes, yes. That's like a public. That's like a get together thing, right? That's not yeah. just like an individual thing. It's like a cultural. That is, it is, but I mean, that's probably not where you go and tinker with garbage until you come up with an invention. Some people tinker, other people spa. Other people spa. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> Yeah. All right. So, uh, so. <laughs> focus, focus. Um. So, yeah, um, I was just going to mention that like some of there are advantages to paper plates, like there are advantages and disadvantages. Yes. And I've got yeah. a list. I mean, um, the nice thing about paper plates is they're really convenient because you don't have to wash them and they're super lightweight. So you can just right. bring them. And mm-hmm. when you no longer need them and they're up, they become problematic. You just send them away or burn them in your campfire or whatever. Um, And depending on the paper product that you have, um, they're pretty biodegradable compared to a lot of the alternatives. If you're not using a plastic, like we're not talking about disposable plates. We're talking about paper plates, especially like a classic paper plate. Um, Like those Chinette plates are just sort of pressed wood pulp. um, Mm -hmm. And they are pretty, pretty good at being biodegradable. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, modern ones, probably they sneak in some, you know, plastic layers or whatever, just to, just to fuck us all Is over. Is there but. anything that isn't partly composed of plastic anymore, including us? Like I just, it's all plastic now. Right. It's all plastic. Yeah. <laughs> Plasticization um, of the world. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, paper plates are also like in some ways safer than other types of plates because you don't have to worry about somebody not cleaning them well enough and then reusing yep. them to feed somebody else. You don't have to like worry about um bacterial growth or the spread of sickness and you don't have to worry about breaking a plate and cutting yourself so there's like some distinct advantages right um you know they're they're pretty cheap like if you're desperate to like you know i don't know what in what world you would have enough money to feed a bunch of people but you would just run out of money right before you could afford the paper plates or something but yeah um you know if you need to feed a bunch of people like i don't have enough plates to feed a backyard full of people. It's going to have to be paper plates or something, some alternative. Right. And especially during COVID, like nobody wants to have to touch things twice. Like everybody take your thing and step away. Right. Right. Um, but there's the downsides, which are, you know, oh, uh, there are uh, paper plates are also microwavable. I forgot about that. We, I ended up with a lot of really nice melamine plates that I was using for outdoor entertaining and stuff like that. And I um, was like, oh, I've got all these plastic plates that we can like, you know, bring in the RV when we go out on our little adventure. Uh, no, you can't put those in the microwave. And so they become relatively pointless unless you're doing them for like picnicking. So that said paper plates can put, put go in a microwave and that's kind of handy. Yeah. Um, but you know, like I hate microwaves anyway. So sure. They, yeah. um, they have an environmental impact. They do. I, you know, one paper plate may not take a long time to break down, but a lot, a lot, a lot piled on top of that inside of other garbage, not exposed to air or light. is like, yeah, break down very fast. Right. Um, I mean the issue just being the sheer volume of waste. Yeah. Regardless of whether it's decomposable or not. Um, right. And yeah. you're still going to have to do something with them. Like you're going to have to bag them up and, or, or put them in a campfire or I don't know, you're going to have to do something with them. You still need to dispose of them in some way, unless you're just going to leave them around like a total asshole. Right. Um, they can leak to like, I probably everybody's had a situation where they didn't get one of those paper plate holders. And cause they were like, I hate wicker and it looks tacky. And then the next thing you know is you've got like, 
ketchup and mustard all over your shirt because your paper plate tacoed on you and everything spilled right. out the center. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> Structurally failed, and then yeah, you're you're fucked. Um, right. It's like that's yeah. kind of like as a kid, you know, you're like, I don't want to wear a hat and earmuffs because it looks stupid. And then it's like, what's really going to look dumb is you having both of your ears cut off from frostbite. So right. yes. keep that up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it looks super cool. Then nobody will ever let you stop talking about it. Right. Um, yeah. So and then also I found this really interesting. According to North Carolina State University, paper plates can make people psychologically question the quality of what they're eating. And so eating even really fancy food off of a paper plate is apparently going to be almost a universally degraded experience because the paper plate just drags it all down. Uh huh. I think that's where those wicker baskets, like I feel like it brings it back up a little bit. Yeah. Like it just feels. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's part of the experience. And I, I imagine um, if we were designing paper plates, like that's something <laughs> to consider. There are all these factors, right? I mean, there's yeah. the issue of like, um, you know, people wanting to use them. Like you want to eat off of fine china because that makes the, you know, your your 50 cent box craft macaroni and cheese look fancier and feel more fancy. Right. Um I yeah. really do like those. They're kind of, um, they're like bioplastic mm-hmm. plates and utensils. And sometimes if you go to a nursery, they'll have plants in them. And then you just kind of crack the bottom off and stick it in the ground because with heat and light and water, um, the the stuff, it's made out of corn and it just yeah, starts the, to break like down. The sort of, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really brittle. Yep. So that's kind of a downside. It's not super durable, but for single mm-hmm. use stuff, if you're, if we're all obsessed with designing everything for single use, then we should design something that is actually single use and doesn't just sit around neglected. Right. Like right. styrofoam or whatever. Yeah. Like th- all that shit that's designed to be single use, but it's not made out of single use. So like content material, like yeah. material is yeah. just a lie. Yeah. It's a dumb lie. It's a lazy lie and we should reject it. So I, um, I think those paper or the, the plasticky ones are pretty cool. There are, um, there are some that are made of the ones I was thinking of are kind of like composite and it's sort of, they're like a brownish color. Um, and they're pretty thick, but then they also make, um, like at the co-op near my house, you can get smoothies and stuff from their deli and they serve on, um, plastic where that's, made out of sugar cane i think mm-hmm. and it's see-through like it's clear so it looks just like the clear plastic that you would get with every any other beverage or utensils um but it breaks down in industrial composting not your backyard composting um but places like minneapolis here we have that so it's actually just goes back into the stream and then it's not as bad not as bad not great but not as bad right right yeah, like, those I, I are mean, pretty durable. I mean, I think those solve some of the like durability issues that you get with paper plates, and they don't weigh that much more. So right, they're still portable. And I, that's kind of what a, the things I was thinking about is. It's like if you're designing a paper plate, um, you you have to take into consideration all of these issues, right? Like, um, you know, you want something people are going to use, and it has to. I mean, I think we should, like, if we were just going to talk about some of the requirements, like, it needs to be designed for single use because the goal is to have that sort of sanitary, that public sanitary environment, right? Like, that's the, um, 
you want something that's single use, but you want it to be reusable within a session, right? Like it's not like you get a new paper plate every time you go to the buffet. Although, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't know that I could speak to this. Maybe that's part of it. Maybe that's an issue. Maybe you want people to get a fresh plate every time so they're not tracking their fucking right. food Diseased. back over to the... Yeah, like... Um, Getting their disease germs everywhere. I mean, right. I think on a, the, the sanitation or the... Yeah, the sanitation and the public health, like the hygiene argument for disposable stuff, I think yeah. is the best one. I think it's the like the one that's most grounded in something. Right. I mean, it's the reason to do it. It's not, you know, yeah. I, there there are other perks like I, I get the sort of paper plate dinner where it's like and then the dishes are done, man, and you just sweep them into the garbage can and it's fucking right. great. Um you know, and you're like, yeah, take another one for the team planet. And then you go sit on yeah. the couch and drink some more beer, um, right. you know, and in your, watch in monster trucks cave. or something in your man cave. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, setting that aside, I mean, <laughs> it, you're right. Like it, there are real legitimate. I mean, it's the reason that um, hospitals, I think for a lot of people who aren't very familiar with hospital environments um, and who are very like environmentally like focused, hospitals can feel like this insane level of of waste because every yes. time you do something, it's like, no, you take those gloves off and you throw them away in this specially designed trash can to minimize, you know, infection mm-hmm. spread. And then you get new fresh ones and a new <laughs> mask and like, you know, and it's like you wear these gowns, these huge plastic blown <laughs> gowns that are, but it's super critical to prevent the spread of these like, you know, life-threatening diseases and, and for, you know, increasing people's ability to survive their experience of needing to go to a hospital. So it's a hard, it's a, it's a hard like trade-off, right? I mean, obviously like that's a hard stop requirement is it's like, no, they're going to continue to be disposable. They need to be like this idea of like, like it's not energy efficient either Mm -hmm. to always use like completely reusable, um, (laughs) Uh, yeah i mean it depending on how you're washing dishes like when we would camp we'd use a spray bottle full of soap and water and then a spray bottle full of water and like mm -hmm. minimal but you can't do that for very long and you can't do that at scale like if it's just you and your immediate family or whatever you can get with because you're all like sharing germs anyway right in your household ostensibly but like when it comes to ensuring the safety of other people or crisscrossing and cross-contaminating groups of people with different pathogens or whatever food i mean it just yeah. turns in very quickly becomes like a total nightmare <laughs> yeah yeah and you may even still need to do that at home if you live with somebody who is Im- immunocompromised or has reduced yeah. immune function because by not doing those things you're relying on your immune system to pick up the slack right you're mm-hmm. you know there's a little bit of bacteria left there's a little bit of various kinds of fungus and spores and whatever all of the you know various viral loads and things and so you're you're basically most of us are probably wandering around being like yeah no my immune system works fine so you know washing my dishes super effectively is not as critical um or practicing like very sterile or sanitary technique is not as critical in my own home Mm -hmm. but i remember I i trust people to use paper plates i don't trust everyone to use an autoclave Right. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's part of it is it's like, and, and that's where I think from a public perspective, if you were like making public policy, 
that that the value of people being like oh and then i don't have to do anything i just throw it away like that the right. fact that that appeals to people is a bonus when you're like trying to get people to do a particular behavior when you're talking about public health right. where you're like no 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 really do throw this away and don't use it again because we need everybody to not spread the fucking diseases that are getting spread yeah. around um, can you imagine like what a strange job it would be to be the person who operates the incinerator at like a medical waste dump or something yeah, I want to know about that. Who are these people? Yeah, yeah. I should ask my friend who is a, uh, she is a mortician and then now she's a, um, or for a while now she's been a, I forget, she's an assistant to the county medical examiner, but it's, it has a very particular, she's like basically, um, she basically cuts up the bodies for uh, autopsies and stuff and does all of the actual like, like involved work there. Um, it's pretty cool. So it sounds wonderful. Yeah. So she basically, I think she basically assists the various medical examiners who are doing that. I bet she wow. knows a lot about who, who gets to burn things. Yes. I would like to have some answers, please. Yes. I will. Uh, I will inquire. Um, Thank you for your research. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think in some ways we've weirdly stumbled onto this issue of like, we're talking about paper plates um, disposable tableware and we've really like this is where we're kind of that these two issues intersect right like we have this culture of disposability right because disposable goods really capitalism loves disposable goods like their whole yeah. thing is about like because then you just gotta buy more yeah single use means that you're basically right into the subscription like the subscription model to everything um, started way before we were using the term subscription, right? I mean, they're like all companies are like, well, ideally this person just keeps paying us for the privilege of using whatever service we're providing. And yeah. if that's, um, you know, like a dishware company, ideally they'd be like, you can have the fine China, but you're renting it from us rather than actually owning it. Um, right. and one way of doing that is making it kind of disposable. Right. Um, mm -hmm. so I think it's kind of, uh, it's an issue because there is value in having something be disposable and something like we've identified an area where it's like in this instance, that's a good solution or it yes. is an effective solution. I don't know if it's a good solution. I don't want sure. to put that on it, but it is very effective at one of the outcomes, which is that people stay more sanitary. Right. But. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. Disposable culture X food items, right. Like, disposable culture crossed with, food culture yeah right yeah leads like to a, plastic like yeah. i love i think how like everything crossed with everything probably leads to plastic mm -hmm. yeah plastics um a really interesting and unfortunate material in some ways because of how um how cheap how effectively durable it is and the cheapness of it makes it so that um nobody's even gonna consider an alternative <laughs> yeah well and it also makes it where it's viable for these company for a company you know you're designing if you design a product out of plastic yeah. um it's so cheap that you're going to sell it at a price point you it, other people are always going to be able to undercut you mm -hmm. for the same product until you're at that point where you're like well no really what i need to do is keep people paying me for this thing because it's not viable to like you know the way plastic injection molding works is it's like it's very expensive in the setup but your per part cost like goes way down once you make a million of them sure and now you're like well i can sell everybody you know five pounds of plastic i, I have you know i have five million units of five five pound 
found pieces of plastic mm-hmm. and I can sell, you know, they cost me a nickel. And right. so I need to, all I need to do to make money is sell them for like a dollar and I'll like rake in the money. But the issue is of course, everybody's like, Oh, I want five pounds of plastic for a dollar. Great. And then now we all have this thing, but you're like, okay, but I want to do that again. <laughs> that was fun. Let's do that again. Yeah. So, and so then oh. everybody, yeah. So company wise, you're they're just incentivized to make right. garbage. Yeah, I man, that horrible Dave job that I had for a long time. Yeah, we used to have a coffee pot, and I would just make coffee largely at the time because I was the person who drank the most of it. Me and a couple of other people in the office just like guzzled it. Uh-huh. And then I was like, oh, I'm one of those people who doesn't process caffeine in a healthy way. Maybe I should stop. <laughs> right. And, uh, Around about the time that I was like, I'm not making coffee anymore. They were like, what? And then they got one of those awful Keurig coffee makers, which uh, like if we get to the point of defenestrating the worst offenders in terms of, you know, our planetary annihilation at the hands of climate change, uh-huh. um, I think the people who invented those Keurig cups have got to go off the tallest building. Yeah, they're just a disaster. It's like every, every fucking like now instead of like, you know, going to a coffee shop where I get a cup. It's like at home, I can also throw away some plastic before I even get to drink my coffee. Right. right. Who only drinks one fucking cup of disgusting flavored coffee anyway? Like who, please write to me and explain. It's such a fucking <laughs> shit show. I, I, as soon as those came out, I was just like, this is the, this is the worst. This is the worst. I, this is just so unacceptable. This is the worst shit since styrofoam. Yes. Like I thought we had made some progress with like the styrofoam and the aerosols and the no more hole in the ozone and all of these things. And now we're like individual cups made out of plastic that are full of tiny coffee from exploited countries and you can't recycle them because they have a foil lid that gets glued on. Uh huh. But you can only have one at a time. And they designed the new machines. They it's a it's the printer model. It's the um it's totally the home consumer printer model too because they designed the machine such that um at first when they first came out like pretty quickly people came up with reusable um cups you could put in there and then you could put kind of all kinds of different coffee grinds in there and things and um then they they started designing the machine so that they had a barcode reader so that they would only take the valid k cups and none of no one else's cups and then they also pushed like a bunch of other companies that were like third-party companies making k cups out of the market with that and like mm-hmm. and then they and so to buy a k-cup machine is so cheap the cost is in buying those the like individual doses those ridiculous pot yeah because it's like yeah. i was looking at how much we spent on coffee yeah before we switched over to craig and how much we spent afterwards and i was just like this is indefensible right that's just like, unacceptable yeah so much money uh-huh whatever i don't yeah. work there anymore it's not my problem and right yeah, that I was told, I was recently told by insider sources um, that this company that I used to work for is going to have everybody start coming back to work and nobody has to wear a mask while they're at their desk, but everybody has to be there. <laughs> okay. Oh, God. Okay, great. <clears throat> Super great. Uh-huh. Good um, job, everybody. I, uh, moments like this, I feel amazing. Uh-huh. Like, wow, I don't have to put up with that anymore and it's totally the feeling is just as good as i was hoping it would be when i still work there like someday Uh i'm not gonna have to put up with stuff like this today is that day oh god um so yeah plastic disposable stuff Mm -hmm. i 
every time I get something from the store that comes in a plastic, like ah, full, full admission of guilt here. If I go through the McDonald's drive-thru, I yes. get giant iced teas from them. That's like my, that's like my MO. Like, Ooh, right. if we go to McDonald's for some reason, I'm getting a giant iced tea. So, uh, like anytime we get plastic takeout cups, I turn them into flower pots <laughs> smart and yeah. I use them to sprout sprouts because they work like little tiny terrariums. If you only put dirt in the bottom few. Yes. Inches. And then you can have that whole containment yeah, and then yep. trap sunlight and air and it's like, right. and they're great. So I have just scads of those and then you can give them away to people. Right. Right. With something alive in them. Yeah. Making shit better. Making shit better. That's right. That's awesome. Um, <clears throat> what else do we have to say about disposable plate design? I'm, I'm, I'm at a loss for what comes after this. We've caught, we've covered a lot of ground here in a half hour. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think any- I was, I was going to say like the kind of the list of requirements are, you know, we could kind of review that. Oh, which right. Is that, um, durability durability well so you want to plan your durability around like your target usage and your target usage is like one-time use and and for reasons we've discussed um you know about health issues and so Mm -hmm. then your other issue that you brought up was that like people have a reduced experience eating off of paper plates as we talked about right so there's it seems like one could argue there's room for design in that space but the question I have about that is does that come from people's perceived perception that using a one-time use item, like if you go to a restaurant and they serve stuff on fine China, yeah, um, you individually, that might be the only time you ever use that plate. So what is the difference? Like, like if they're throwing it away in the back and you don't know about it, like, is it, like there, I have so many questions about, I, I'm not denying that it's true. I believe I understand that right. like if I eat off a paper plate versus like a cloth napkin restaurant with like decent cutlery in China um, or, you know, serving where I, I agree. Yeah. I probably have the same experience. The question I ask is why is it, is it just inherently that I know that a paper plate is cheap or I know that it, or it implies like, are there other things you can do to create an experience or an environment where you're still using paper plates, but you're getting, you're reducing the, like, you're reducing the impact of the paper plate as far as my sort of, my emotional or psychological experience of eating? Um, yeah. I mean, you're raising good questions here. I don't know what that University of North Carolina study was like focused on specifically when they decided that psychologically the, uh, the experience is degraded for people. Right. My guess is that it's a whole bunch of stuff. Like one, there is definitely an aesthetic, like people who are dead inside will probably think that I'm ridiculous for caring about any of these things. But when you sit (laughs) down to eat, so most of us at this point, (laughs) right? Yeah. When you sit down to eat, so many things are going on. The, the feel of, the utensils that you're using against the plate that the food is on is important. You don't want anything that's screeching across the surface of the plate, which is why people are like tink, tink, tink when they use fine China. Like they're just very like delicate when they cut the food apart and eat it, which is very different from like a like outdoor picnic where people are throwing hot dogs around and stuff like the, the aesthetic quality of a paper plate 
doesn't support the experience of the food as much as another type of plate like fine china might or like for example we don't even have to go with classism here right we can look at like have you ever eaten food that's been served to you in the cast iron skillet it was cooked in yes that is also a completely different experience because the it retains all this heat and like right. the shape of it makes the food differently shaped which makes how you consume it a different process which means how you're eating it changes like uh, there's all sorts of things imagine i mean imagine trying to eat <clears throat> spaghetti off of a paper plate versus a glass plate versus like out of the you know the pot you cooked it in on the stove like it would just right. be like trying to eat it out of a pot would be a pain in the ass yes um, yeah trying to eat it off of a plate would be a sloppy nightmare because there it wouldn't be rigid enough to support all of that wet pasta that slips around and doesn't have a, a solid form i mean right. so i right. i think probably like unless you're trying to eat food that is sort of designed to be hand food and eaten quickly and eat and dash like you're always going to be worried if if you need a utensil sharp enough to slice through food it's also going through your plate right right so those uh, are all of the things that come to mind for me yeah <clears throat> outside of the like the economic sort of yeah so i like i or the yeah like i'm kind of working i'm 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 postulating that um mm -hmm. we are in agreement that there is a certain dining experience that requires a disposable eating utensils yeah. like we talked about like eating in a public space where um you need to maintain a high level of sanitation um mm -hmm. you know in order to like like hypothetically speaking like let's say there was some kind of like disease going rampant like a pandemic or something and you wanted yeah. to still have some kind of food and social gathering even with a small group of people, you would argue, okay, well, we want to make sure our sanitation is pretty high to minimize the spread of, say, like some kind of virus or something, right. um, especially <laughs> if it was more foodborne or something as opposed to like airborne. Um, sure. So given that, <laughs> given that, and you're like, okay, well, we're committed to using disposable goods. Like how can we, how can we create a paper plate experience or how can we design a paper plate experience that is no longer um, diminishing your experience of the food. Like yeah. I, I would on, almost argue that maybe that experiment for some people, it's like, I might argue that the height of a hot dog experience is that the hot dog comes in one of those paper hot dog sort of cup plates. Yes. They're kind of like the shape of the hot dog. Like it's yes. like an, or like an eclair, or like an oblong. Yes. Like an eclair. Donut. We'll call those eclair plates from now on. Um, anyway, uh, I, I like one could argue that that having that same hot dog on out of context in like a cloth napkin sit down candle lit um you know fancy cutlery yes. and everything experience would reduce the experience of that hot dog part yes. of the hot dog is standing there in the fucking hot sun trying to like <laughs> you know like eat this hot dog and trying to enjoy it while it fucking spills oh all over the anyway um <laughs> Did I tell you, or did, on this podcast, have we talked about the Twins Home opener that I went to when it snowed? I believe we did, yes. Um, 
God. I think we'll I, have to. We have a lot of episodes out at this point, I know, and it's hard for me remember. to keep track of. I think well, we my did. Hand, like it was messy. They had the little boats for the hot dogs to sit in, and uh-huh. we got the footlong ones. And yeah, there was like ketchup and mustard all over them, which was great. But then I was like, why did I do this ahead of time? Because now I have to hold a hot dog that's got ketchup and mustard all over it. Yeah, and it's going to get all over my hand, which it did. And it was freezing outside, literally mm-hmm. freezing to enough to make snow right. happen on the home opener. And so I was sitting there with really wet hands from ketchup and mustard and sub freezing temperatures and it was miserable but it was like great because you're still at a baseball game eating a hot dog right (laughs) but like the utensils like in that situation i mean what happens if you need inclement weather utensils yeah what if you have to put on those stupid little gloves right Oh, not good. Not no. good. So I think um, I think also those paper support bla- baskets bring like I wonder if part of the food experience is just having um, having the 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 tableware feel like it's of quality, like of substance. Yeah. So, you know, some of these modern it matters. Like, it matters because have you ever seen those plastic silverware, like the plastic tableware that's like silver chrome plastic yes. painted? So it looks like metal silverware, very shiny metal silverware, but right. it's not. It is plastic silverware that if you use it enough, if you go back for cake seconds, yeah. that shit's going to flake off and you're going to eat it. Let me tell you. Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Are you prepared for that? I mean. Did you ever go to weddings in the 70s and 80s where they had like several cakes on tiers and like staircases between them? Yes. Yep. Or like fountains, like little fountains? Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, the fact that these things are appealing to children and children only should tell brides something. Right? Yeah. You're infantilizing your own wedding, but I will totally eat your staircase cake and I will relish it. <laughs> right. I just have this memory of as a kid... um, I remember going to several weddings and all of the wedding cake, the frosting on it was disgusting. Yep. And I like, and I remember thinking as a kid, like, why does this taste? It, it tasted like whipped Crisco. Yep. It tastes like, like lard and sugar whipped together. Yeah. And I'm like, this is disgusting. Like, how Mm -hmm. is this acceptable? I'm pretty sure all that stuff was like vegetable oils that were whipped. Like, just like you're saying, they're like hydrogenated. So I bet like all that stuff is why people over 40 all have cancer now. It's just the wedding cakes. Any minute that wedding cake is going to kick in and it's going to turn into cancer. I have non-Hodgkin's cake cancer. Non-Hodgkin's cake cancer. That's what I'm going to tell people if I get get cancer like my aunt had it. I Uh bet she got it from cake too. Uh Oh God. Now I'm thinking about the cancer I don't have. Anyway, it's cake. For sure, it's all that cake. Or the, like, chrome flaking off that plastic utensil stuff. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Just, you know. Yeah. It's, you know, we, it was funny. And when I worked at, temporarily at that ill-fated uh, job that I had for a moment there. Yeah. Um, they, for large catering events, they rent out some equipment. So you can get, like, silverware and plates and things but i always thought it was really weird because like the stuff doesn't really match each other so i'm like we're ending up with like weird like classic stuff right you see the same sort of stuff come over and over in like event planning and like catering and conference planning like you use all of the same stuff 
the, yeah. the inventory is all the same. So it's the chairs that have that sort of strange bamboo back. They're like, why does all these chairs look like they're made out of bamboo when they're not? Um, those are really popular. And also like gold silverware. Like yeah. really heavy. And I'm not talking like like ma- like made out of lead like so heavy you're like this is awkward to hold this silverware on do they not want us to eat because my hands are getting fatigued i've got like tendonitis in my fingers from the silverware uh-huh. uh and like and it never matches anything it's this gaudy gold silverware it comes up over and over again yeah i don't i don't know i it's don't so know the heavy. to like haul it around I had to like drive a truck with all that heavy stuff in the back. And I was like, I'm going to be impaled by a million golden forks. When I slam on the brakes, they're all going to fly forward mm-hmm. like daggers. And all I'll have to fend them off with is stupid paper plate. <laughs> I love that the Smithsonian like talks about paper plates. Like they're so, so part of the collective experience of the United States now that like Mm -hmm. you just have to have paper plates at the Smithsonian. Yeah. Yep. Um, do you want to talk about the colors of the day? I do. Yes. I think this is a good segue. Um, and I just got a message from the, uh, research department and I believe our exact, Oh, well, before we do that, um, yeah. let's just do the thing where we tell people how they can get a hold of us. Cause I think, oh, yeah. um, I feel like I wanted to do an experiment where we maybe try to do that at the beginning of episodes so that, cause I think, right. I think most people we always listen forget to do it. Yeah. Um, anyway, so if you've been listening to this episode and this is your very first episode you've listened to of us, um, I would say this episode's pretty representative of the way our episodes <laughs> go. Like, um, I mean, by all means, like they're all a little different. So hunt around, find a topic you think you're interested in. Um, if, if you so are inclined, but what you can do is you can actually contact us directly. So you can either email our executive assistant, Dana, D A N A at fcbm.io, uh, and she'll forward your questions or your comments or your hate mail or whatever it is to either or both of us, depending. Um, mm-hmm. You can also find our direct email addresses um, on our website, fcbm.io. There's a contact page. Um, I don't believe we do a lot of tracking. I mean, we have some tracking in the sense that we like to know that somebody went there, but we don't do like a lot of like, um, like I don't have the, I don't have the, like the cookie set up where it's like, oh, oh like right. who are you and what's your favorite thing? Anyway, we don't do any marketing. So we, we don't, don't do, do we don't do advertising stuff. on our website. So you going there doesn't do anything for us other than um, I'm interested to know that people are interested in our show. Uh, it's like a little like, it's like a little like chick mark. Like, oh, there was accounts that there was a visitor, but we know nothing about Like it could yeah. be us. We could just be, it could be me sleepwalking Tyler right. Durden style and just... I, I guess person strictly speaking, we use Google analytics still because it's so easy to set up. Um, I've thought about going away from that. And if you have an opinion about that, by all means, please email us. Cause we're not interested in knowing like we're interested in what you want to share with us. So if you email us, then yeah. we'll know something about you that you want to share with us. And then we will either share that as you like or not um, with our listeners. So, um, you know, let us know too. Like we're not really into the whole public data scraping uh anyway sorry that's a bit of a rant (laughs) anyway the whole upshot of that is you can email us um we don't have such a huge listenership that we probably will respond to everybody who emails us i don't think we get like 
you know, it's not like we're inundated with hate or flood or flooded mm-hmm. with fan mail. Um, but anyway, colors of the day. Here we go. Uh, <laughs> so uh, our intrepid research team, um, are you are you looking at them now? I am. I love this color combination. This is one of my favorite of it's, ours so far. And it's yeah. one of my favorite color combinations in the realm of color combinations that exist that the human eye can see. Right. Yeah. I love this combination. It's pretty fantastic. The other cool thing about this color combination um, or these colors, I think that the research team did an incredible job of uncovering the names for these colors. So yes. um, if you're not familiar, we do colors of the day. Uh, other other institutions might do colors of the year or whatever, but that just mm-hmm. seems like a cop out. Like you're only going to do the work right. one day a year. Come on. One day a year. Yeah. You're, so you're only relevant one day a year. Right. So in order to stay relevant, um, these are the colors of the day. So the very first color uh, is arithme- arithmetical idealism. Yep. And this color is like a like a bright red. If you met somebody wearing this nail polish color, you'd be like, we are in for a fast time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I'm going to give the, uh, traditionally we give the RGB values followed by the hexadecimal values. So the RGB value is two, four, six, four, six, zero. So that's red is two, four, six green is four, six and blue is zero. So it's got a lot of red, uh, just a touch of green and no blue. Um, this is like a screaming red. This is yeah. like, this is like you're having the time of your life red. <laughs> yes, exactly. This is the, this is the color you would choose if you're painting the town. Um, mm-hmm. so, uh, if you, uh, haven't ever listened to the color of the day episode or segment, you can put in the hexadecimal value into Google and I'm going to tell you what it is. If you pop it into a Google search, it'll immediately show you the color. Um, so the hexadecimal value is uh, pound sign or hashtag. So hashtag F six two E zero zero. So again, that's hashtag Foxtrot six two echo zero zero. Um, now the complementary color to arithmetical idealism is sugarless receptivity. I love it. Yeah. And so sugarless receptivity is, uh, it's a bright blue and the RGB values for this are nine two zero nine two five five. So this is, uh, again, the, uh, just a touch of red with a value of nine, quite a bit of green, 209 and quite a bit of blue, two five five. Um, yeah, this blue and, is like candy blue. Yes. Like yeah. my grandma, when I was little, used to have butterscotch candies that, that were yellow and came in a yellow wrapper, a yellow clear cellophane plastic wrapper. Uh-huh. And then she also had these weird like wintergreen ones that were the same sort of like jelly looking hard candy. And they came in a clear cellophane wrapper, but they were this color blue, mm-hmm. like bright, icy blue, super intense, like and it's funny that the name of it is sugarless receptivity because what it makes me think of is like like cotton candy blue. Yes. Like yes. like the only time you ever encounter this color blue is if it's a candy because yeah. it doesn't exist in nature and nothing tastes like this color looks. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. This is the color of um, a blue, blue icy. Raspberry. Blue raspberry. Yes, yes. A blue raspberry icy. We were thinking the same thing at the same time. Yep. 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 Okay. So the hexadecimal value for this is going to be uh, Octothorpe or uh, hashtag zero nine Delta one Foxtrot Foxtrot. That's zero nine D one FF. 
Um, so you're going to put in hashtag 09D1FF, pop that into Google or, you know, look up this however you like. Um, I think if you, sh- I don't know if, if, I wonder, we should put links on the, so all of this can be found on <laughs> objectcolor.com. Yes. Um, and the, our website that we created to uh, allow other people to also choose and find colors of the day that work for them. So right. um, I, I don't know. It'd be interesting. I should set it up so that you can actually Google the color names and then they would come up. Well, that'll be a next extension yeah. of this project. Oh my God, that would be so much fun. So that when they're generated, they actually have a... like. So if you link to the web page... Um, so if you were like, oh, I found sugarless receptivity, this color, I'm really interested in it, then mm-hmm. it should have a web page that, that Google can actually search and find um, yeah. potentially. So anyway. I really um, like these colors when they're used together in a repetitive pattern so yes. that <clears throat> it kind of shifts in front of your eyes while you look at it. Yeah. Like this, these would be amazing colors for like a houndstooth pattern. Oh, Yes. Like f- anywhere between like a really fine houndstooth to like a mm-hmm. really chunky, blocky, large houndstooth. I could imagine either one just looking fantastic. So, man, these are so good. This is yeah. such a good color set today. It is a very good color set. Yeah. Uh, well, good, good job, research team. Um, Great you, job, team. Yeah, they know who they are and they know what they did. So, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, those are always the best people. Yeah, they really are. Um, yeah. So, well, thanks to our executive assistant, Dana, as always, thanks, for uh, helping with all of the production and, you know, basically Woo. the one that, you know, the progenitor of this podcast. Yeah. The, <clears throat> the like, uh, what do people say in Yiddish where there's a matchmaker, a yenta? Mm. The yenta. Like that, yes. but for like podcasts and not right. for Jewish romances. Right. Not for Jewish romances. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Um, I wish I had better ties to like Jewish culturalism because I feel like there's so many good like, you know, we could we could call this podcast like a, we could do the Jewish romance podcast or but I just can't speak to that like culturally <laughs> like I have no I have no claim to that. So me either. maybe I actually I think we have I have some Jewish friends. Maybe they'd be more than happy to share and entertain us with stories and discuss their cultural heritage anyway um sometime well if you're a listener we don't know you and you want (laughs) to make your public debut by all means um but anyway uh yeah (laughs) i mean we also we you don't have to talk about that like if you have other opinions we'd love to hear them so um, sure yes anything you'd like to say yeah anything you'd like to say uh if you've listened to any podcasts at any of our podcasts at this point you probably get the gist of our our strictly art and design focused podcast very rigid production very style rigid. yes <clears throat> <laughs> yeah strict yeah. rules um very formulaic in its own hard way. deadlines hard de- hard deadlines yes <laughs> Uh, we were doing pretty good there. I we're going to get back on track here and get get the get the numbers short up and get everything back right. in order. Um, I we're, it's so important. I'm willing to fly across the country in a pandemic to do it. Yes, exactly. And <clears throat> and you're going to have to. Yeah, it's okay. That's what's going to happen. All right, fantastic. Cool. Okay. Well, I think that's all I have to say. Like, is that how many other bicoastal pod podcasts do people listen to? That's an interesting question. I don't know. We might be the only one. We're 59th in Ireland in art and design, but we might be first here in people's hearts for bicoastal bicoastal podcasting. (laughs) (laughs) 
I think that there are um, there are podcasts that I've listened to where certainly interviews are remote, way even before before pandemic times. Um, I can't think of anywhere like the the main hosts are not basically in the same room. Yeah, I I think I've listened to a few where they've tried to set it up like that where or mm. like they've they've done something where it's like a, one of the hosts was like traveling that week or something like that and so then yeah. they end up um kind of doing a remote session um i'm pretty i'm pretty proud of like our our ability to get over that hurdle because i think our i think our podcast sounds pretty good most of the time it yeah. doesn't sound like we're remote from each other i think um, we hope i mean that's yeah. great yeah so Doing the thing. Doing the thing. Okay. Uh, all right. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. I'm going to go insulate a garage. Okay. I'm going to go uh, take some lunch to my girlfriend. That's so nice. Uh, yeah, I know. It's going to be fun. I think Great we're going to have tacos. Okay. Oh, watch out for paper plates. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Plenty of paper products going into that one. <laughs> okay. All right. Thanks, everybody. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Bye.